This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so the season started and everything sucks. That's that's the bottom line. We'll give you a little instant reaction to this opening night disaster against the Bucks, one twenty-seven, one hundred four. Mike, let's be honest. There was never a moment in this game in which you thought they were going to win. They got their ass kicked from pillar to post. There were a lot of negatives to come out of this, but early on, down fifteen-eight, five minutes into the game, you knew. I knew they ain't winning tonight. Yeah, there were points where it got to like seven, six, eight. And every time, not even that many, to be honest. But what ha- what had happened was there was a Connaughton three or James Harden turnover or Nick Claxton not being able to get a, a defensive rebound, et cetera. And there were a few moments like that. Yeah, but from the beginning of this game, I mean, Milwaukee just, they came out sharper. They came out like they cared. They came out with energy and everything you were hoping to see from the nets. It was the same problems, rebounding turnovers and real big issues on the glass, but against Giannis and the rest of the bus. That, that that's the thing that just drove me nuts last year during the regular season. There were so many games where the nets would outshoot their opponent, but their opponent would take 20 more shots, 25 mm-hmm. more shots because they got destroyed on the glass and because they turned the ball over way too much. And especially in the first half of this game, I think the numbers ended up working out where the Bucs outshot the Nets, but not by a lot. Though they did win by 23. They better have outshot the Nets. But in the first half of this game, it was the same crap. There were way too many turnovers. Giannis was doing whatever the hell he wanted on the offensive glass. Nicholas Claxton, who, look, I'm happy for you that you were right that he made the start. And I had no problem with him making the start, even though I thought the lineup was weird coming out of the gate. I got to tell you, there was a lot of negatives about Nicholas Claxton, including that one sequence where all of a sudden he thinks he's a superstar. He's getting lazy getting back on defense, but he got bitched out by Giannis a lot. And you just can't let your opponent, especially a really, really good opponent, take essentially 20 more shots than you. And that was the biggest problem early in this game. Shots, the turnovers. It felt like anytime the Nets got it remotely close, eight, 10 points, there was always a nasty turnover that just led to a Milwaukee Bucks three, and the momentum just shifted all the way. All the little things that you need to win basketball games got outshot, turnovers were terrible, and then the terrible free throw shooting. Oh. Too. Every time they had another like opportunity to cut into this game, and I think it should have been a foreshadowing in, in early on when Claxton misses both of those free throws essentially to start the basketball game. And then from there on out, Durant missed free throws. LaMarcus Aldridge had a sequence where he was brutal from the line. 
and all the things that as fans drive you absolutely nuts just came to fruition all the damn time. And the bench was awful for the Nets, minus in the scoring categories where I'm going in particular. Minus, minus Patty. Guy, minus Patty yeah. Mills, who had 21 points. It was excellent. I mean, Patty Mills was great. Other than that, it was like the Nets against the Bucks in the playoffs. Nobody's scoring. And the rotations were odd. I'm sure we'll go deep into that, and that will be micromanaged to the high heavens. But the rotations seemed strange early on. Yeah, the, the free throw shooting. Look, Kevin Durant going three for six from the line, whatever. You just kind of shrug it off. LaMarcus Aldridge is a good free throw shooter throughout his NBA career, and he couldn't hit a shot. It was nope. just they did all of those little things that could have kept you in the game, protecting the basketball, uh, hitting your free throws, making easy shots, making smart decisions, rebounding the basketball. You do a few of those things. And this is a much closer basketball game and you don't let it get out of hand. And, you know, sometimes there's one kind of possession that you remember and say that's where it felt like things turned. And I don't want to say it turned because they're already losing, but they cut it to eight in the second half and they were in transition. And Blake Griffin, I don't know, I guess he was doing his Ben Simmons imitation. He was afraid to lay it in. It then turned into a Joe Harris turnover and Jordan Nuwara hit a three. So it's a sequence where they're about to get it to six. Blake gives up an easy look. Joe Harris turns the ball over. And of course, on the other side, the Bucs take advantage of it. There was just a lot of crap like that. And then you throw in the fact Drew Holiday was hurt in this game. Drew Holiday didn't play in the second half. So you had a Buck team that was already shorthanded bench-wise anyway. Now you take away one of their quote-unquote big three. And they just couldn't take advantage of it. And why the hell didn't Bruce Brown play? Does that no make idea. any sense? No. And I, I DM somebody during the basketball game. I'm like, is Bruce, did I miss something? Is Bruce hurt? Was there something I didn't see? Was there a report? Did I turn the TV to this? Was I, did I turn my attention and miss something? And they no, Bruce Brown just did not play, which is bizarre because yes, he had moments against the Bucks last year in the playoffs that weren't perfect, but he was one of the better guys for them in that series. And a guy that we were all so super excited to come back onto this team. And then the fact that he did not play at all until garbage time at the end with three minutes to go. It was it was strange. That was a weird one to see. I had figured that we wouldn't see Cam Thomas like you talked about last time sure. we chatted. And Carter would sure. get the minutes because of the defense. But the fact that Bruce Brown essentially got DNP'd minus garbage time made absolutely no sense at all. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, as we're recording this, I would assume somebody from the Nets uh, excuse me, somebody in the media is going to ask Steve Nash, why did you, he's not going to tell you anything, but why Bruce Brown, a guy that gives you defense, that Do gives you, you energy, wasn't there. They they lacked all the spirit that he yes. usually brings. The energy that he brings, his ability to defend. I thought he did a great job on Chris Middleton at times last year. And he's a guy who's just trying to refine his game. He's working on his outside shot. And remember last year, Steve Nash kind of did the same thing with Bruce Brown. He didn't mm-hmm. like Bruce Brown early in the season. And finally, he got a chance to play. There were enough injuries and he was impressive enough. Uh, and it doesn't even make sense from a matchup standpoint. Like th- that doesn't even kind of fly on why Bruce doesn't get into this game. Um, the, the rotations, which look, I don't want to freak out about a game into a season, especially against one of the elite level teams that let's face it, you're going to have to go through. We're going to have to go through to win an NBA championship, rightfully so. They are the defending champs. They did knock us out last year. But (laughs) these rotations made no sense. I I didn't mind Claxton starting 
but I don't know if I like Claxton and Griffin at the four and five. And then we see Paul Millsap and LaMarcus Aldridge. Then we even saw a sequence where LaMarcus and Blake were playing at the same time where they're just really slow. Uh, I didn't get it. I didn't get the love affair with James Johnson. Javon Carter sucked. Hopefully he'll play better. Patty Mills was a godsend. I mean, I think he's the number one positive that comes out of this game. But the rotations almost felt like Steve Nash is playing a video game and he's just kind of feeling it out. And what I also don't get is you played a handful of preseason games. If you know in your mind, hey, I'm thinking I may start Claxton and Griffin at the 4-5. I'm thinking about that. Wouldn't it make sense at some moment during the preseason to have those guys on the floor at the same time to like toy with it, to kind of see what it looks like? Isn't that sort of the point of the preseason as opposed to game one against the defending NBA champions? You want to call that a nitpick? Maybe it is. I don't know. I'm in a bad mood because I didn't want to get embarrassed by the Bucs on opening night. But I, I, I honestly, I didn't love a lot of the rotations that we saw from Nash tonight. Yeah, I mean, could it work ultimately? Did it look bad tonight? Yes. The Griffin-Claxton experiment was strange. And to your point about the preseason, this is not the NFL where you're hiding and showcasing your major plays. Like, I'm not going to show our, our gadget plays. I'm not going to show what we have in the playbook as we, until we get to the regular season. I understand that. Yeah, I guess it would have been nice to see them play together. But with the point you made, and it just kind of the light bulb went off in my head that's terrifying, is if Coach Nash is going big like that because he needs size and depth to defend and get rebounds versus Giannis and the Bucks and other teams, and they can't do it, and they look that slow – that's scary because yes. it's one thing if you look slow, okay, fine. We're getting rebounds. We're controlling the glass. We're getting into our offense now on the other side. But if you're going to not defend and not rebound and get bullied on the inside and be slow, at that point, you might as well just go small because you're losing the rebounds anyway. Let's get something back on the offensive side. Yeah, this just sucked, man. This just sucked. Can, you know, can, I, I, keep... can I just – yeah, uh, sorry. There's one. There's one other thing that's been irritating me about Harden and Durant together. What's that? It felt as if, like Durant had a solid game, Harden had some issues. He had a nice little streak. It never felt that the two superstars were ever in sync together on the court, and it felt like they were playing two separate basketball games and never stars united. And that kind of bothered me. Well, yeah, it seemed like James Harden was obsessed with getting Nicholas Claxton looks at the basket. Yes, that's obsessed. the way it felt. <laughs> and I know we said in our preview podcast, oh, James Harden's going to get Nicholas Claxton paid. He's going to get the best out of him. But it did feel at times like that was more of the priority. I even said, you know, and I said this on the, the Carton and Roberts show, I, I mentioned that one of the prop bets was who's going to make the first basket of the game. Oh. And I said, hey, you know, if you watch the Nets, they always draw up a play for Joe Harris. Now, yep. I thought the Bucs did a great job overall running them off the three-point line. He was mostly a non-factor in this game. But the first possession turned into an obsession with Nicholas Claxton. And, and early in this game, it really felt like it was all about James Harden trying to set Nicholas Claxton up, which I get, and I think Harden's going to get the best out of Claxton. But I totally see what you're saying. It didn't feel like there was this great, chemistry between the two superstar players and then and i love it i'm not complaining about this steve nash split them up which you have to do where there was always one superstar on the floor until garbage time obviously when you have Kyrie out there you could try to manage it where you always have two superstars on the floor at the same time but 
he definitely split up Harden and Durant, which early last year they didn't do with Kyrie and Durant. Remember we used no. to say, how come they're always on the floor together? They never split them up. So we saw, and I get it, and I would continue to do it, by the way, because you always want to have a star on the floor. So a lot of James's minutes and a lot of Kevin's minutes, they weren't even sharing the floor together. But you're right, when they were sharing the floor together, A, the, D, the team didn't play well. I mean, I, I'd love to see what the plus minus was when they were both on the floor together. Mm-hmm. In fact, I may be able to figure that out real quick because when they were on the floor together, things were not going well. They weren't playing their best basketball. That's not when they made their runs. No, not at all. They made their like mini runs when the stars were split. And basically, I mean, I can't speak to this. It felt like they made their runs when Giannis was on the bench and they could actually do some stuff without him there. And he, he just, I, I want to find holes in Giannis's game, and I want to be the guy that says all these things. And I'll be honest, I didn't really watch him in the playoffs once they defeated the Nets, so I would be a liar if I said how, that I saw those epic performances, which I did read the box scores. But he just looks like he's taken his game to an even different level, and that's just so frustrating from a Nets standpoint because there is nothing they can do to stop him. And then when they doubled... Milwaukee doesn't miss open threes. They yeah, just, Pat Connaughton was, was awesome in this game. By, oh, by the way, oh. I, I quickly did the math. It's mind-boggling. When Harden, and, and you could fact-check me on this if somebody listening wants to, but when Harden and Durant shared the floor together, they were minus 26. I'm saying, it felt like, it felt off. Yeah, well, it, it felt off. It looked off. The results were off. Because remember the way they started this game, before he finally pulled James Harden and then pulled Durant and had Harden on his own, that's when they made their run. Like their run late first quarter and early second quarter when they pulled it down to eight or down to six, whatever it was, was when there was only one star on the floor. But when they shared the floor together, it was bad. And, mm. and that's going to get better. I mean, obviously, we're not literally panicking here one game into the season. I think we're just pissed off and frustrated. But nobody's sitting here pressing the panic button. But you just said something about Brooke Lopez. I mean, this is this is painful to watch him becoming a really good three point shooter is one thing I can live with that. The game has changed. The game has evolved. And Brooke Lopez has evolved with it. And it doesn't necessarily surprise me. that He's become a really good three point shooter. Brooke Lopez being an elite level rim protector. That's a tough one to swallow. I, I got to tell you that that one is just I mean, him blocking Kevin Durant. And blocking James Harden. And I think he only had three blocks in this game, but it felt like he had 10 blocks in this game. Just the way it felt. That's a, that's just a tough one to watch. I mean, I, I'll always, I guess, have a warm spot for Brooke, but the guys are the lead level rim protector. How the hell did that happen? I know. And it feels like he'd be such a perfect fit for the nets. Now a guy, if he's going to defend rebound, shoot threes, hit, hit outside shots and help this team. Yeah, it was really frustrating to see him do that. Would you, what would you think of taking Joe Harris and having him come off the bench moving forward? What do you think of that idea? For for what? For starting Bruce Brown? Like, well, what's the I mean, replacement plan? I think I think I, I think I like the idea maybe of Joe coming off the bench, and just giving a spark to the second unit, only because and this is all I've seen now over the last seven games is just in the the bench has been so bad. 
just thinking of different ways to get points to have production coming in in the second unit. Well, it's just not going to just not going to cut it if it's Patty Mills and nobody. I mean, if it's nobody else, this has the trend has to change. Well, I mean, that look, I, I we haven't seen enough of Javon Carter. We saw his 18 minutes tonight. He's got to be better. I mean, it's simple as that. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge was terrible tonight. I know he's an older veteran, so you never know how much is actually left in the tank. But yeah, again, have to think LaMarcus Aldridge is going to be better. I don't know if I love Joe Harris coming off the bench because I think on most nights when you're not facing an elite level defensive team who did a great job, I thought kind of making Joe Harris a non-factor. I know he made three threes in this game, but it felt like he did absolutely nothing. I think Joe's going to be more of a factor and better when they're not facing the Milwaukee Bucks. And the only thing I would tinker with the starting lineup is I'm not sure I love the Claxton Griffin combo, but look, guys just have to play better. You know, it's as simple as that. I mean, Javon Carter is an example I gave. We barely saw Paul Millsap in this game. I don't know if Cam Thomas is really going to be able to break this rotation. We talked about that before, but guys just have to play better because outside of Patty Mills, I know KD ended up having statistically a good night, but outside of Patty Mills, I don't really think anybody played that well tonight. Honestly, I mean, there's nobody I look at and say, yeah, he played well. And I guess that's a sign of how great Durant is that he can go 32 and 11, shoot 52% from the field, and you can walk away from it saying, yeah, he wasn't great. He can be better. But yeah. Kevin Durant missed some shots that he normally makes. Uh, James Harden was the same thing. I think it's easier to explain James Harden because he didn't have the greatest shooting night in the world. He turned the ball over four times. So I think it's easier to kind of identify Harden and say, yeah, I'd have a great night. But outside of Patty Mills, who somehow was seven for seven from three, nobody really played that well. It was just that block on a night. I will say this about Joe. If he had this performance in game seven, they would have won. That's how bad he was in that series. Don't start with me. Like this was, this was, this was bad, but it was an upgrade for what we saw in that other, uh, the other performance. I mean, because he made he, at least he made some shots. Nah, I I, so I know that's just that's just yeah. I know it means nothing. It's stupid. Crossed my mind. Oh, one or two, three there. What? But we'll see what would have happened. And you know, I, I think back to that first game last year where they just came out and smoked, smoked the Warriors, and then smoked the Celtics in the second half. And then look where the season ended. So I try to remind myself of that. And if you're a Nets fan, think of that. That. We don't even remember that. It's an afterthought. It, things can change, but I think it's pretty clear right now the Bucks are a lot better than where the Nets are at this point in the season. Yeah, and it's just what, what scared me. And I remember I used this rationale to you when we were previewing Nets Bucks, and I said this to you. I said, what scares me about the Bucks is that they're a team trying to prove they're a championship team, trying to get to that moment. And beating the Nets really kind of made them a championship team. Let's be honest. They won a game seven on the road. They overcame the the greatness of Kevin Durant, came back in the NBA finals down 0-2, and now they're a battle-tested champ. That's what they are. That's the difference between the Milwaukee Bucks today and what they were even four months ago. They weren't a battle-tested champ. They were kind of paper tigers in a way. Oh, they have great regular seasons. What the hell have they done in the postseason? And now they're the champs, and now we got to go through them. And I like to talk big about a revenge tour. The revenge tour is already off to a god-awful start. Now, they'll have more cracks at this, obviously. It's a long season. I'm not necessarily panicking. I I think the way I would express tonight is tonight sucked. You know, you wait four months to get back, especially against this team. And, you know, I I said this on the air today, man. I wanted to crush them. I wanted to leave no Mm -hmm. doubt. 
And the truth is, they left no doubt. They kicked our ass. This was never really that close of a game. I hate to say it. And we got a long way to go. But whatever. Let's just hope the Knicks don't win their opener. Because if the Knicks are 1-0 and the Nets are 0-1, we are going to hear a lot of crap talk for 48 hours. I just want to warn you, just so you're aware. I'm aware of it. Yeah, that's not ideal. I'm not looking forward to that. Uh, go Celtics, which is something I don't think I've ever said in my whole life. I am looking forward to the Nets not playing Milwaukee because the last eight games that have mattered have all been against Milwaukee. And as a fan and as somebody that's now been tortured by the Bucs, I'm excited to see the 76ers because it's not Milwaukee. And by the way, in the last six games against Milwaukee, they're one in five. And the one win, it took an incredible performance from Jeff Green and a historical performance from Kevin Durant to win that game. So mm-hmm. since the Nets went up 2-0 in dominating fashion, it has been nothing but ownage from the Milwaukee Bucks. But anyhow, mm-hmm. hopefully anybody who listened to this enjoyed the pain that we now have after an 0-1 start. Thank you for listening to this uh, instant reaction of the Brooklyn Basketball Podcast. <laughs>